Yo, yo, what up, what up? Welcome to WTF Should I Do With My Life? I am your host, Jacob Sokol, and I am stoked that you are rocking with us today. Today's interview is actually Jason Bowers, who's a member of our community, interviewing me. And the way that this came to be is because sometimes I get inspired, and some people might call that crazy, but in my moments of inspiration, sometimes I take action. And I was recently inspired to send an email out to our entire community, 10,000 plus people, and say, hey, who wants to interview me? And we've had about 60 replies within 24 hours of people opening up their hearts and sharing, hey, I'd love to interview you. And I made it really clear that I didn't care if they had 2 million followers or two people who came to their blog every day, that I was committed to helping the people who were fully showing up for living on purpose and being on their path. And I know that that's challenging and I want to support however I can. So I've been doing a bunch of interviews, some which will get released on the podcast over the next couple of weeks and months, and I just love Jason for his willingness and commitment to showing up with a deep sense of integrity and staying on the path, breathing deeply into his journey. And so in today's interview, he does a great job of getting me to talk about my philosophy for fulfillment and how I've learned to navigate the uncertainty required in order to go live our purpose. We talk about a philosophy for getting what you want in life, and we even go into how to get great relationships, whether they're romantic or platonic. We talk about what my current edge is. That's right, your boy here has an edge also, and I talk about it in the interview. And we also talk about a really practical understanding of how to apply spirituality in our life. Let's jump in. Hello, world. Welcome to the show. Our guest today is Jacob Sokol. Jacob is the founder of Sensify.com. He's a life coach, a leader, a teacher. He organizes retreats with names like Dharma, Dollars and Dopeness, and Exotic Locations. And in my opinion, he exemplifies what it means to create a life and a business with authenticity. Jacob has been a big inspiration to me because he has a rare combination of tenacity, compassion, and generosity that I think the world needs a lot more of. Jacob is a true example of a man living a big courageous, passionate, full life, doing great things, taking risks, leading by example, and doing it all consciously while making a positive impact in the world. So huge mouthful. Without further ado, Jacob, welcome to the show. My brother, thank you for having me. Is it okay if I just take what you said and just make that the intro to my website? Because that was amazing. <laughs> yeah, man. By all means, go for it. <laughs> That's fantastic. I'm, I'm, okay, we can end here and I'll be satisfied. But I've got another hour for you. So let's, let's take it wherever you want to go. <laughs> Perfect. All right, Jacob. So for those uh, who might not be familiar with you and your work, can you just tell us a bit about your story and what you're all about? For sure. So... To take it back, back in the day, uh, you know, I had a very adventurous childhood and adventurous is really a kind of euphemism for whatever adjective you might want to use, fucked up, crazy, out of control. Uh, But really what was happening underneath all of that was that intuitively I knew that the way that people told me the world works was crap and I didn't 
it didn't make sense to conform to that. So my first grade teacher would tell me, Jacob, it's really important that you do this thing. And I'm like, really? Like, who are you to be telling me that? Like, what? Like, what? Come on. Like, you don't know nothing about the world. And yeah, there's a little bit of like rebelliousness there and even a little bit of like being a brat. But I just, you know, my parents went through a divorce when I was five years old. It was kind of crazy. Things have been out of control in my family pretty much since the time I was born. I got two amazing parents. They love me, you know, more than anything and have done everything they can to provide a great life for me. So, you know, let's be clear about that. And they were dealing with their own set of circumstances that were challenging. And and I just at an early age realized that the way I'm told life is, isn't. And I didn't have the words to be able to articulate that at that point. And I didn't even under really understand it myself. But the way that I dealt with uh, society in a world that I didn't believe in, I didn't believe in the way it was that they were telling me it needed to be was that, you know, I was rebellious. I got into 10 fights by the time I was in sixth grade or something like this. I, um, I did a lot of drugs in my early teens. I was smoking weed like four times a day by the time I was 13 or 14. I used to, I used to smoke weed before junior high school. So seventh grade, they had something called the maze behind some residential houses. And I went into the maze and smoked some weed and came into school a little bit late. And the dean would look at me and say, Jacob, you got the red eye disease today, I see. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, <laughs> I'm like, wait, does he know I'm high? Does he not know? I'm, high? I'm like, Google. Shit, thirteen-year-old, like, uh, and you know, and so I did that. I wrote graffiti for like ten years of my life, and it was a very passionate hobby of mine that led me into some very adventurous circumstances. Some dangerous, some exciting. Uh, usually, a combination of both. Very passionate, but th- these were different ways that I tried to cope with knowing that the way I was told life should be wasn't actually the way it needed to be. And I was trying to find a way that I could make it work. And the the upside to this, so the down, the downside is that there is a lot of pain in in playing with this, but the, the upside to this is that, you know, through this experience, um, it, it made me conscious that there are other ways to go about um, living. And uh and so, so that kind of brings me up to, okay, well, I go to college, I get a little graphic design degree because my mom said she'd kick me out if I didn't go to college. And I figured college is better than being on the street. So I did that. And I, and I kind of created uh, from that, I, I got a job doing IT work, different field. Um, but I, I, I was able to amount to what society calls success, having a good job and a promising career with a good paycheck and having a nice car and a great apartment and a motorcycle and being able to go out and kind of was able to prove to myself and to, and to society like, oh, I can play your game and I can win. But actually, uh, despite the outer success, the inside was a mess and I wasn't winning on the inside. My mind was out of control. I didn't feel comfortable in my own skin. I had so much shame around my sexuality, questioning my sexuality, not feeling man enough, OCDing in my head about things. Um, the list goes on and on. And I just didn't know who to talk to. I didn't feel like I, like even my best friends, I was like, man, if I tell you guys this stuff, like you'll never talk to me again, which was not the case. But 
That's what it felt like. It felt like no one got me. And what made it worse was here I am. Like, dude, you're, you live in New York. Like, you have enough money to pay your rent. You have food. Like, you have a good job. Can't you just fucking be happy, dude? Like, get it together. And this was the voice in my head. And it made my shame amplify because I had, because I was unhappy about being unhappy, it only made me exponentially more unhappy. And, you know, this, this is really what led me into doing the work that I do today, which in large part is about helping people escape the matrix to kind of realize that we've been put under a a mass hypnosis culturally as to what we think we need to do in order to be considered enough or good enough to help people shed some of those layers and to get back to the core of what's in their heart, what's most important to them, and then how to create a life in a sustainable way that reflects and allows them to be in alignment with what matters most to them. Beautiful. How's that for a mouthful? (laughs) <laughs> we're, we're going back and forth. I love it. <laughs> awesome. So was there a turning point then, like a moment when you realized that I'm not living the life I know that I'm meant to live? And, and if there was a, a specific turning point, like, then what happened? You know, what did you do from that point of realization to get things turned around or, or, or flowing in the direction that you knew that, they, that you wanted them to be going? Well, less of a turning point and more of a, you know, imagine bashing your head into the wall repeatedly at some point, right? Because you're like, ah, I got to get over there, right? Like, like this is the way to, if I just try harder and do this more, eventually I'll get where I need to go. There was just a certain amount of bashing my head into the wall metaphorically that after that, I just realized like more of this is not the answer. And the bashing the head into the wall was looking for happiness outside of myself. That sounds so fucking cheesy, but really like looking for happiness in thinking that a job promotion or even a girlfriend or even a new car or whatever, whatever external circumstance was going to bring me happiness. And I, and I validated excuse me, I, I judged my own sense of self-worth based on other people's validations. So in a really practical sense, what this looked like is like if I was walking down the street in New York and like I was feeling on that day and a girl looked at me and was like kind of, I don't know, smiled, like all of a sudden my self-worth went to like a hundred out of a hundred, right? But like if I'm walking down the street and I look at the girl and like she looks at me and it looks away and is like, ugh right? Or I interpret it to be that way, then my self-worth goes down to like a 10 out of a hundred. And this is a really fucking horrible way to live life. Like this is just painful and ridiculous, but so many of us do. And, and so really taking my self-worth off the table and knowing that self-esteem comes from integrity. It comes from being in alignment with the things and doing the things that matter most to you. And owning that. Um, So was there a big breakthrough moment? No, I would say there was just more of the repetitive pain of like, man, like for everyone who's listening, like just check in with yourself and just say like, if life were to continue to be like this forever, and I were to be, I were to get more of the experience that I'm currently having, 
would that be fulfilling for me? Is that a life that I want? Now, if you're an entrepreneur, if you're someone who's kind of in a transitionary, I'm building something phase, that might be a little bit different because you're, you're kind of building skills and you're navigating uncertainty. But if you're kind of on a pretty clear cut trajectory of like, I'm in this position and I can just kind of see, if I were to fast forward and look at like, who's the person who's 10 years ahead of me in this same role? Do I want their life like not and not their version of it? Like, do I want like that life for me? Uh, if the answer is no, um, which for me, it was just, ah, man, I just had so much inner turmoil that I knew that I needed to try something. And I was willing to go out into uncertainty because my fear of uncertainty was less than my pain of staying in the same position. So uh, let me throw the ball back at you and, you know, take us wherever you want here. Yeah, perfect. So you mentioned, you mentioned fulfillment, just this concept of, is my life fulfilling? And if I continued on this path, do I feel fulfilled and would I feel fulfilled? And I love playing around with that as well, that, that question. And I'm just curious, like what, what brings you joy, lights you up and makes you full, feel that sense of fulfillment? And how do you combine that with purpose and mission and, and what you're creating in the world? Mm. I love experimenting with a combination of doing things that are generous and unexpected. There's something so beautiful about a combination of these two different attributes. Because when it's generous but expected, you know, it doesn't have the same kind of secret sauce magic to it. There's almost a, a sense of entitlement on one end and it's just, it doesn't feel as great to me. Um, and when, uh, so generous and when it's not generous, well, that's just, I don't know. It's not as fun either, but there's something about just doing things that are generous and unexpected that are fun for me, that are inspiring for me. And that could look like sending out an email to my community and saying like, Hey, who wants to interview me? I'd love to talk with you guys and, you know, do an interview and see if that's helpful. Um, but that might also be like, I was out at, and, and I'm getting really specific here. We can zoom back out and look at the larger picture. But another example is I was out at a brunch with a really good friend of mine and his sister. And she, you know, we went to a French place and they brought a French coffee maker, you know, for the coffee that she ordered. She's like, man, I'd always, I always would love to, I always wanted to have one of these. I just kind of made a mental note of it. And then I was, you know, Nick, for the next 24 hours, I wrestled in my mind, like, should I just get her one? Like, I, my heart knew I wanted to just surprise her and just get her this, you know, French press. Um, but there's something that was like, well, is that socially acceptable to just buy something someone, something for someone? Is she going to think something wrong of it? Is it going to be creepy, right? There's all that kind of ego bullshit that comes in. But uh, I did. I went on Amazon. Amazon Prime was able to order something for less than 20 bucks and send it to her. And, you know, that's just to me, it's just so cool to delight someone with surprise. Um, yeah, so, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. So, so little things like this, it doesn't need to be like, you know, you need to come up with a whole new strategy for your approach to life. Like you can do this type of stuff right now. I, I made a little game with myself. Anytime someone says that they want something and it's under $20 or so, I want to get it for them, but I don't want them to know I'm going to get it. And like, I, I want to do it the way I did with the story that I just told you, uh, because that's just fun. Like that's the type of person that I'm inspired to, to be. And I'm, 
yeah, that just, and, and don't do your own version of that. Like if, if that inspires you do that, but like, for me, that's a fun game to, to play in this short period of time that I get to be alive. Um, so fulfillment to, to kind of go back, um, my, my strategy, especially for people who are really questioning, you know, what will bring me fulfillment or what path do I pick in life and what direction is worth going in? My strategy is really to um, figure out what your core values are. What are the things that are most important to you? And you can find this out by looking at the peak experiences that you've had in your life. You know, thinking about what are the five times in my life when I've been most fulfilled or most inspired or most proud or who do I really admire out there in the world and why? Who do I, who do I hate in the world and, and, uh, or dis um, or resent and, and why? And from these deeper pieces of information, you can start to string together, well, here are the things that these experiences actually reflect and represent. And for instance, you know, some of my core values would be growth. Growth meaning a kind of a combination of learning and courage. It's kind of like taking what I learned and having the courage to apply it. It's growth is a value of mine. Authentic connection. So conversation like this, like I get to be in this conversation, speak what's in my heart, connect from a deep, meaningful place, uh, contribution. This is another one, right? Um, so, so to figure out like what those things are that matter most to you and then to say, okay, well, which of these are most out of alignment right now? So if you were going to judge on a scale of one to 10, each of these values, how much are you currently living with growth on a scale of one to 10? Um, and it's your own metric. It's not up against mine or Elon Musk's or Jason's or anybody else's. It's just yours. And to see, okay, well, which of these values of mine isn't being met? And then how can I, what can I do? What action can I take in order to be in more alignment with this value? And then you'll have a great story that will come up in the way about why you can't do that. Well, well, because people will think I'm creepy if I do that or, oh, that's not socially acceptable or, oh, I'm being irresponsible. And that's just your own ego and uh, limitate, limitation-based, fear-based thinking. And that's, you know, the importance of having a coach who can help you see through that bullshit story that feels very real or surrounding yourself with people who are doing similar things. Um, so that would be, a, you know, my kind of initial approach, Jason, when it comes to fulfillment. All right. Awesome. So one of the things that I've, I recently heard you say, and, and I think it's related to this topic, you were telling a funny story about your cat whose name I believe is Krylon, which I love. Yes. <laughs> and what you said is that... He's, he's right here with me right now, actually. <laughs> See, now I wish we were on video. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I think what you said was that you don't get what you want. You get what you are. And which one of you can say a little bit more about that? Yeah, totally. And I, I think that the cat reference, and I can go into this, was related to that my cat actually reflects back to me my own energy. So when I was doing a, a string of interviews where I was interviewing people who I was really inspired to talk to, oftentimes right before the interview, I would get nervous. And in my nervousness, my energy obviously is different because I'm nervous and it's funny. It's like, okay, I do everything to set the interview up. I've got my little lamp on. I've got my Logitech uh, uh, camera ready. I've got my Mac there. I've got, you know, everything set up perfectly for the interview. I iron my shirt. I take a shower. I do my hair, you know, the whole fucking thing. And 
the moment, like two moment, two minutes before the interview is about to start, my cat starts going apeshit crazy running around the house. I'm like, really, bro? Like, now's the time you're going to decide to do backflips off the wall and like <laughs> knock into the stand that I have my computer on because you're so rambunctious at this point? Like, like you know, what the hell? And um, what I ultimately, you know, he's, he's almost 10 years old now and I didn't realize this in the first couple of years, but ultimately... He's just reflecting back to me my own energy. My energy is of nervousness and his energy then became of that same. And, uh, and the same thing happens when I'm really chill or when I'm really calm. Um, you know, he, he generally is pretty chill and pretty calm. And life kind of works this way. You know, we don't get what we want. We get what we are. So if you want a life of inspiration and contribution and excitement and creativity, well, make decisions from a state of inspiration and excitement and creativity, meaning that, you know, when you're in fear, when you're in scarcity, when you're feeling anxious, then that is not the time to be making decisions about what to do with your life. That's the time to be taking care of yourself and allowing yourself to process whatever is going on with you and get the wisdom from the emotion. There's, there's a reason that emotion is there. What can you learn from it? But it's not the time to be mapping out the next 10 years of your life or the next even 10 days of your life because we get more of what we are when we give and, and it amplifies when we give uh, power and energy uh, to, in that state that we are. So, um, and, and this happens, you know, you've, you've experienced this before. Someone has sent you an email and the email has, you know, triggered something in you where you're like, this person's a fucking idiot. I need to let them know that immediately, right? But you, you know it's not a good time to respond to that email when you're angry, right? Like, you know that's not the best idea. But there's a part of you that's like, no, that I, I know it, it's not the best thing to do, but I'm going to do it anyway because this, this person really needs to know this thing. And, you know, you send that email, you make that mistake like we all have. And then a few days later, you look at the email and you're like, oh, fuck, that was not a great email to send. Like, why? And, you, and, you know, you get more of the experience of what you are. So because of that, then there's this anger that continues to build up and it just it gives you more of the experience that you act from. So, uh, so that's my approach to life in large part is if you make a decision when you're in a shitty mood it's going to be a shitty decision. So if you can have the willpower and the consciousness just to realize that and then say, okay, well, I notice I'm in a shitty mood. I notice I don't feel great. That doesn't mean that, that, I, that I'm not great. It doesn't mean that my self-esteem is in any way on the line. Just because you don't feel good doesn't mean that you are good. Going back to what I said earlier about how I used to always have my self-worth on the line. Well, so much of that was based on my, how I felt. I felt like if I don't feel good, then I'm not a good person. So, so that's not true, but just allowing yourself to, to have consciousness over, okay, well, here's what I feel and to have some tools for dealing with that. And, you know, that could be a separate conversation or we could go into that, but then paying attention to, okay, well, now is not the time to be making any decisions. And what are you going to want to do more than anything at that time? Make a decision because it's going to give you the feeling of control, of power, of certainty, of, uh, you know, perceived all of those things. And instead of making a decision about how to move forward, really that's the time to just take care of yourself. So however you want to do that is going to be up to you, whether that's taking a nap or exercising or, uh, 
my coach, Steve Chandler, talks about taking LSD, uh, which means laughing, singing, or dancing. These are all ways to elevate your state, right? And that's the last thing that you want to do when you're pissed off. You're like, I don't want to fucking dance right now. Like, that's the exact opposite of what I feel like doing. But that's fun. That's exactly because energetically, we feel anger or whatever we feel, uh, this, this kind of intense negative emotion. Uh, and... I'm pausing there because I said negative emotion and it's the emotion itself. I don't want to demonize. It's not negative, but it's an unpleasant emotion. So that's a more accurate description. Um, and, and so when you feel that, you know, dancing is the last thing you want to do, but actually put on a, a you know, blast a song, get into your body, dance for five or 10 minutes, despite, you know, as much as you really don't want to do it and notice how your state changes. Um, so this so- is, interrupt real quick so let's say that leading up to this interview you were in a shitty mood and experiencing uh emotions that didn't feel conducive to having a good interview what what would you do would you like like what's what's your practical approach to when it's time to be when you need to create something or you're going to you have to make an important decision um what do you do to get yourself in a state that is going to allow you to get you more of what it is you want? Totally. So a couple of things. One is I might meditate and just do a five or 10 minutes of breathing. That'll drop me out of my head into my body and calm me down. Uh, maybe I would go exercise, but really meditation is it's so easy. It's five or 10 minutes. Everyone has that time before whatever they're doing. And, and that makes a huge difference. Two is I would focus on not my ego or myself or how I'm going to look or if I'm going to be good enough or what they're going to think of me. All of this is ego-based thinking, but I would use this, my ability to refocus on who can I possibly help as a result of doing this. So instead of focusing on me, I'd focus on, well, who might listen to Jason's interview and, and what could I possibly say that might be helpful for them? And I don't know, but like that would be my intention is to just see how can I, how can I help? And, and again, we don't need to know how and it's not, am I good enough to help? Because that's focusing on, on us and our ego and our own insecurities, but focusing on who I'm interested in serving. And the third thing is, is I would just be honest about it. I would get on the interview and I'd probably find a way to bring it up in service to, in service to whoever I'm speaking to. Um, so for instance, if I'm talking about, you know, how it's important to be able to embrace our negative, our, there I go saying it again, our unpleasant emotions, um, then I would, uh, I'd probably tell a little story how like, you know, yesterday my cat puked all pro- projectile vomited, you know, fresh cat food that he just ate. Like, so it's now hot and disgusting all over my meditation pillows and, you know, my girlfriend was not in a great mood and, you know, I was just cranky and, you know, I might kind of give a real life example of some of my own real challenges that I go through in service to humanizing them uh, if, it, if it's related to um, what would be helpful for people. Awesome. So this is kind of jumping topics a little bit, but... There's another story I heard you telling recently um, that I was really inspired by, and it's it's all about relationships. and And I'll just tee it up by saying what, what you shared was that you started to ask your dad uh, when you first thing you do when you see your dad is you ask him what he had for dinner last night. 
So why do you do that? What's, what's that all about? <laughs> awesome. So another, there's like, you know, if I could give everyone like 10 little principles to help live life by that will make your life exponentially better in situations that we're never taught how to navigate. Don't make choices when you're in a shitty mood because there'll be a shitty choice. That's one of them. And another is learn how people receive love. And what I mean by that is that the way that I like to be loved, the way that I interpret love, what love means to me is different than how my girl receives love. So for me, if she comes over and starts scratching my back, I'm like, oh, God, that's amazing. It instantly drops me right into like total present bliss. And if I go over and scratch her back, she'll probably punch me in the face. <laughs> she hates that. Just don't fucking touch me. Get away from me, right? Um, but if I tell her how much I appreciate her and how proud I am of her and all the courageous choices that she's made in the last year or two, and you know, if I give her words of affirmation or confirmation or appreciation, that will melt her heart the same way that scratching my back melts me. And so when in you know, a relationship, especially a romantic relationship, uh, there's a, there's an idea called the five love languages, which is to figure out how, basically the, the author, Dr. Gary Chapman talks about the idea that, um, we all kind of have a predominant love language. So one is physical touch. Another is, I think, words of appreciation. Another is acts of service. Another is gifts, uh, receiving gifts, and I forget the last one, uh, some, you know, something along these lines. And so to figure out and, and ask your partner and get them to, to be conscious of what is the way that you best receive love, because if you're trying to give love the way that you know love, but the other person knows love in a different way, no wonder there's a conflict and a disconnect. So the story specifically with my dad was, well, okay, you know, what is it that my dad... This this is a, just a slightly different approach to this. You know, what is it that, that matters most to my dad? What does my dad really care about? And, you know, my dad loves food. Like, he's a foodie. He geeks out about food, and he doesn't even realize it. He won't tell you he's a foodie. But, like, I just noticed that one of the things that my dad wakes up in the morning and the first thing he thinks about is, what am I going to have for dinner? Like, that's just the first thing he thinks about is like, where am I going to do dinner tonight? Like, you know, it just matters to him, food. And, and so I like started to study, you know, who are the people who are close to me and what is it that actually mattered to them? And my, so for my dad, as an example, it's not like we connect about everything. Like some things that he cares about, I don't care about. And, and some things that I care about, his mind is not interested in this stuff other than the fact that I'm interested in it. So he, he's interested in me. Uh, but so for my dad, you know, okay, food is one thing. Travel is another thing. Uh, pets and animals. He just loves animals. And, you know, again, he won't, he won't go around saying this, but by studying him, I can see that he loves animals and his, his grandkids. So anytime that I want to have a conversation with my dad, I know if I talk about any of those four things, you know, uh, food, animals, grandkids, and travel, that we're going to have a conversation that he's going to care about. And it's, it's going to light him up. It's going to make him passionate. 
so that's a little hack. And, you know, I'd encourage you to think about who are the people who are, who you care about having the best relationship with in your life. And, uh, and how do they, what, what do they care about and how can you, and what's, how can you talk about those things or how do they receive love? And what's cool is that when someone is passionate, emotions are contagious. So maybe I don't give a shit about animals. I do. They're pretty awesome. But let's say I didn't, right? Then uh, what's cool is that my dad's passion will be infectious because emotions are contagious. So you're studying five love languages, looking around at your close relationships, you know, kind of tuning into what people really care about and why, like what's the motivation for for that effort, those efforts. I interviewed a guy named Tal Ben-Shahar who, he taught the most popular class at Harvard of all time. I'm not sure if it's still the most popular. It might be, uh, but he's a, one of the world's leading positive psychologists. And I was like, yo, Tal. And I didn't actually say it like that because you know he's a Harvard professor. And so I adjust my, my yo uh, my Jonas slightly, but you know, as tall, you know, tell us how do we live a happy life? Right. And he's like, well, really what it comes down to at the core, like is relationships and connection and the happiest among us are the people who have the, the deepest connections and the, the best relationships. And so I drilled into him about this question. I drilled into him. So, okay, like we all know it's important to, have relationships that matter to us, but how do we actually have relationships that matter? And it was through his answer that he said, well, I would talk, I would get people, I'd figure out what is it that people care most about and meet them there, uh, engage with what brings them alive. And again, a, a vitalized person vitalizes, an inspired person inspires. Um, and, and it works the other way, a hurt person hurts people. Um, an angry person angers people oftentimes. So, uh, so that's, you know, that's the kind of core of it is that ultimately you can have all the success in the world. And if you don't have someone to share that meaning with, then it's not very meaningful. So one of the things that I get very clearly from you is that you are, you're very committed to your own development, growth, and expansion as a person. Am I accurate in saying that? I'll go with that. I'll take that. Okay. So one of the things I'm curious about, and this is something I love playing around with in my own life, is for you right now, what is your greatest edge in your own personal development? And how, do you, how, do you, how are you approaching it? Hard, smart thinking. What I mean by that is not just following a formula for success, but really spending time in the inquiry of how can I, of what makes sense, of of what assumptions am I believing to be true, and are they actually true, and what might be something that works better than this current thing. So, you know, I have no problem working hard, hustling, you know, doing stuff like that. But the challenge for me, and I think for many of us is not just following the traditional roadmap for success, whether that's in society or in entrepreneurship, or if you're a coach like me or like you, Jason, in that domain, and really any domain, not just following 
what we're told by the experts are the way to do it. But sitting in the inquiry of questioning assumptions. And if you look at people like Elon Musk, who I think he's on most people's radar at this point, you know, with SpaceX and looking to colonize Mars, actually bring our humanity and our civilization to Mars to inhabit Mars and live there. And uh, Tesla and some of the other amazing, you know, things that he's up to. And, and also you look at him and you look at someone like Tim Ferriss, who's just, uh, you know, highly, highly effective, accomplished, um, and just grounded, you know, dude, pretty awesome life and doing some amazing things in the realm of personal development and contribution. What, what is it that's unique about these two people? Um, sure, they're smart, no question about it. But what is it that's unique about their thinking? Well, the way that they think, the way that they approach challenges or life is that they question assumptions. So for instance, the space industry has been pretty much neglected for the last 40 years because to send a rocket into space costed about a half a billion dollars. Now we got people who could be fed on the streets who really, we could use that money for our humanity here. Why does it make sense to go out into space and spend that money? And that's why you know, 1979, we, we got a man on the moon. I think that's right. And, uh, and since then, nothing has trumped it in the last 30 something years because it just seems ridiculous to spend so much money uh, going out into space when we have problems here at home that seem more worthwhile. So Elon Musk comes in and he says, well, I want to colonize Mars. And in order to do that, one, I want to do that because it seems cool and fun. And two is I kind of want to make a backup of the human race in case this hard drive goes bad. This hard drive meaning, you know, Earth that contains the data, which is the humans. He's like, in case that one fries, meteor hits it, something, plague happens, something, right? I want to have a backup. So we should go to Mars and colonize Mars. In order to do that, I need to reverse engineer it. And I need to think about, well, at the current cost of space travel, it's not going to work. So it costs half a billion dollars and I'm, I'm, you know, obviously hundred percent accurate in my numbers here. Uh, no, I'm joking. I'm obviously don't know the exact cost, but something like, let's say a half a billion dollars to send a rocket into space. Why does that, does it need to cost that much? Why does it cost that much? And when he looked at the actual raw material of the parts that, that made a spaceship, made a rocket, um, the the costs were like 2% of that, 2%. So he's like, holy fuck, if the raw materials are only 2%, then I can make the raw materials myself or I can bring in people to make the raw materials myself uh, without having to pay this huge markup on it. And then I can, I can, if I have a purpose that is inspiring enough, I can bring in the talent who doesn't care about making a lot of money. Sure, they want to make some money, but really these people aren't doing what they're doing for the sake of money. They're doing it for purpose and for reason. If I have a, a, a deep enough purpose, I can inspire people to join the cause and then use their expertise towards this mission. And this is the line of thinking that he's done in order to revolutionize this industry. And he's doing it in multiple industries, the auto industry, the energy industry. He's replacing assumptions about the way things work by, que by questioning those assumptions. And, and Tim Ferriss does the same thing. You know, it's okay, well, why do you think you need to work 40 years of your life before you can enjoy it in retirement? Why not create a life where you can have a mini retirement every 
two months for a month. You can go travel. Why do you think travel needs to cost a lot of money? You can get airline rewards and you know use these, and there's ways to do that that doesn't really cost any money. Use these points in order to travel around the world for free. So this is the type of edge for me that I wouldn't say necessarily comes naturally, but feels really important for me is to replace the assumptions about the way life needs to be or business needs to be and look at, okay, I want to help transform people's lives. I want to help people escape the matrix and create a life that's most fulfilling for them. Well, in my industry, the way that you do that is one-on-one coaching and, you know, you should sign up to work with me and, you know, we'll work together for three months. We'll talk to, we'll talk once a week and we'll work on your beliefs about why you can't have what you want. Well, this, this can work. This can be useful. Or I can bring you to Bali with me and a group of 15 people who are also in a similar place as you who are also at their edge. And we can come together to all support each other. Go have, go fuck your whole reality up because I'm going to take you to one of the most spiritual and magical places on the planet. I'm going to show you a new way of life is possible. I'm going to show you a new way of being of you, who you are, watch how you're different in this environment. And, and this is a different way to approach transformation that I find to be in certain cases more valuable and more effective. So my edge is, is doing the hard thinking of questioning my beliefs about the way I think the world works and my business needs to work and the service I provide in my business needs to work. And, um, and being willing to experiment and play with uh, with non-conventional ways to do it that align with with what matters to me and what my strengths are. That's that's awesome. I love the idea of questioning assumptions, and I'm curious. So that's uh, ask the question about personal. Where's your where's your greatest growth edge? You know, in terms of your own personal development and. When I hear you talking about questioning assumptions, that's like, that's on this creative forefront of thinking and shaking things up and, and just how can I do things in a completely different way, right? And I'm wondering, is there, do you take a similar approach to your own internal personal development or is there no separation between the two? Like maybe a more direct way of asking the question is, in terms of your own personal growth, interpersonal growth, like you were talking about love languages, is there an edge there that you're pushing right now? Well, I'd actually consider the assumptions to be a personal edge um, because I am my business in large part. And that is the, that is the challenge for me is, you know, changing and, and, and questioning the way that things need to be done. So that that does feel like a personal edge uh, for me, um, but we can look at other domains of my life. I I just um, I was doing some improv comedy. It's been on my bucket list for about ten years. I don't want to be a comedian. Don't want to be an actor. But just something in my heart was like that seems fun as fuck and like a cool skill to have. Like to be able to just think of whatever's happening on the spot and go with it. And so I, I recently did a little improv, which was really cool. So much fun. Um, 
an edge for me is actually just having a home. <laughs> like, like <laughs> I have a home in Brooklyn, New York, and there's a price tag associated with living in New York. And I've been traveling the world for the last year and a half or two years. But what people don't realize is that that's actually a really economically sound decision because it's much cheaper to live in Bali or in Colombia than it is to live where I'm from in New York. So again, questioning assumptions, right? You think travel is going to be more expensive, but actually it's much cheaper than having a home in New York where, where I'm from. So an edge for me is actually just having an apartment here where we pay you know, a lot of what is considered by much of the world and by myself a lot of money in order to live in, um, in a, an apartment that's great. Uh, and you would get something that is, you know, five times as uh, nice if I were to move, live somewhere else in America, middle America or, or somewhere. So that's an edge. Just it's the, ba- the basic, like, I've got a crib now. Time to pay those bills. Yeah. So I, I, I love what you said about doing the, the, was it improv comedy, stand-up comedy? Yep, improv. So, so you, you decided at some point, like, I've had this thing on my bucket list and... I'm really in my own life playing with the concept of just following joy, like doing more things that bring me joy and trusting that when I'm doing things that bring me joy, good things are going to come out of it. So I'm just curious for you, what was the, like, what was the decision process like to go, all right, I'm finally going to do this after 10 years. And, and then what was it like doing it? Mm, I think I was at a low point. I forget exactly what it was. It wasn't um, like on, I'm depressed and you know going to jump off this bridge type of low point. It was just like there was a fire in me that I knew I was possible of having that wasn't there. And it was just a, a check-in to say, okay, well, what would bring that fire there? And I made a list of some things, doing improv, taking martial arts, starting to lift weights again, um, meditating for 30 minutes every single day instead of the 15 minutes or 10 minutes that I had been doing most days, uh, some other things as well. Um, and just checking in like, all right, well, which of these feels most exciting for me right now? I don't want to do all of them because that's that to me, that doesn't make sense. But um, the improv was, okay, I'm gonna, let me go take a class. And so I took a class and was nervous as hell and I embarrassed myself. But I also realized everyone else there was nervous too, right? No one else here was an improv master. We were all there, you know, as, as newbies and rookies. And so keeping that perspective in mind, it was like, yeah, I'm nervous, but so is everyone else. Who gives a shit? Like, let's, let's play with this. And I took the first class and it was kind of like an intro. I didn't have to pay anything. And, and then they say, okay, well, you know, the, our class, our real class is going to start on Monday. If you want to sign up, you can sign up, blah, blah, blah. And I went back and forth in my head for the next few days and it's just like, fuck it. Like, I'm going to do it. Why not? And just keeping that perspective in mind, which is like, you know, so often we don't want to look stupid and we think that we're the only one who feels whatever we feel. But the reality is, is like everyone is walking around with their own version of not wanting to look stupid and feeling insecure and doubting themselves. And so when you can take action in the face of those doubts, instead of letting them own you and trap you, but to emerge from them and through them, you can get done so much more than most people who aren't willing to do those, those things. 
So you did it. And what impact did it have? Like, how did it play out? Well, I can't say long-term impact. I can't say like, I'm enlightened now. Because of that. <laughs> can't say I'm funnier now because of that. Like none of, none of those things feel very tangible, but it was just a dope experience. Like it was a ton of fun. It, it was really nonstop laughter for three hours, once a week, Monday nights. There was times when I was in my head when I didn't want to be there. I showed up anyway. I broke down with laughter on stage because I just, couldn't hold, hold it in. Like there was, I was, my state was so different. Like I was in such a state of anxiety. Anxiety is not the best word, but some kind of uncomfortable closed down state. And because I was there and the the state of the room and of the energy there is, is such a, a high mood, a high vibration, a laughter, whatever we call it that my state couldn't coexist with the collective state of, the group. And as a result, I had a fucking meltdown with laughter, trying to hold it in so much that I hurt my ribs because it was just so painful. I was just, yeah, I was on stage with, or, you know, in front of the room with two other people and they were just killing it with laughter so much. I had to try to keep it together and I just couldn't because, you know, I was processing energetically the, the going from one state to another. So there were just cool moments. And, um, I guess it, can't say it gave me more confidence, but in a sense it did. Like, oh, fuck it. I, I could do that. Um, one thing I did learn, a kind of takeaway that I had from the experience was that when I, when I thought it, when I was in my head thinking about what to say, it was much harder to come up with something funny. So if I, if I came with the intention of like, okay, Jason, like me and you are going to do this skit together and you're going to say something and then I'm going to think of something funny to say so that we can go back and forth. That was really difficult and challenging. It was very uh, cerebral, trying to calculate logistically. It didn't really work so well. But um, when we did things with emotion and my job was to go be angry, it, if when I came from the state or from the emotion, all of the words came naturally without me needing to think about them mm. because the words followed my state. And the same thing happened with excitement. If they said, okay, Jacob, like you're go embody the emotion of excitement, like your character right now, his job is to be super excited. And then I just got to be excited everything that I said, just, I didn't have to think about it. It just followed that state. It was, it was exciting. It came out naturally. And I realized this is how it works for us in life too. It's when is that our words and our thoughts follow our physiology and our state. So, and it goes both ways. This is a, an organic kind of, this is a holistic system of everything being intertwined. But I find this to be really powerful that when you put yourself in the state you want to be in, you will get thoughts that will follow that state. So if I show up for this interview and I'm really tired, it's going to be hard for me to be inspiring. But when I show up and I feel passionate and energized and excited to talk, well, the thoughts that come out are going to be passionate, exciting, and, and thoughtful. Uh, so that was, that was a cool takeaway. It was kind of a, a, a different approach to something that I think I've, I've been playing with, and it was just cool to see it show up that way. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like it's very in alignment with that concept of you don't get what you want, you get what you are. Yes. Yeah. 
So one of my teachers talks a lot about universal intelligence, which is, you know, there, there are many, many names and different ways to say, I think, what is basically the same thing. And when you're talking about getting out of your head, getting into your body and emotions, and then from there, things just kind of flow. And I'm wondering for you, like, what is your relationship to that? I've heard you talk about spirit and you, know, you talk about what you call spirit and just wondering what is, what is the role, what does it mean to you and what is the role of spirit in your life? Mm-hmm. One of the most painful assumptions that I've ever held on to that has probably caused more suffering for me than anything else is that I believed that I am my thoughts. So I think everyone listening can relate to either having that experience at some point or still having it. If I think a thought, then I am that thought, right? So basically just identifying completely with what we say and, and being our brain. I am my brain. I am, I am my mind. And the challenge with this is that my experience was if I had a crazy thought, that meant I was a crazy person. And if I was a crazy person, that meant there was something fucking deeply wrong with me. And that's not a fun experience of life. So after identifying with my thoughts for the first 25 years as I am this version of myself, uh, when I took my first trip to Europe and I was by myself and I got put in a new environment with new people, I realized that my thoughts started to change. And I said, wait a second, how can my thoughts be changing? I thought that, you know, my thought that I was these thoughts and they were just the way they were. And I, I might have understood like the Eckhart Tolle concept intellectually of like you are not your thoughts, but this was like an embodied, internalized oh, I get this in a, on a visceral level of my thoughts are just habits of my mind. And the same way that I have habits of my life, I wake up, I brush my teeth, I make a smoothie, I drink water, I go take the train to work, I answer email. These are ha- unconscious habits that I've kind of just built in. Well, my mind has these unconscious habits that aren't who I am, but because they're so unconscious and automated and they've been there so many times, I've started to confuse what I think for who I am. And when I put myself in this new environment with new people and new experiences, it gave me new thoughts. I was like, holy fuck, if I could change my thoughts, I could change myself. If I could change myself, I could change my life. This is amazing. And I had this deep knowing of, oh shit, I am not my thoughts. That is amazing. The the great mythologist, Joseph Campbell you know, he talks about the idea that we are not our mind, that we are the whole of ourself. We are the entire person and our mind is an organ in our whole, in our body, the same way that our finger is an organ organ, or our arm or our leg or our heart. These are all different parts of us that make up the whole of us. And the trouble comes when we start to identify our, ourselves with being our mind. And so when I got this, I got, oh, you know, whoa. And what, you know, what he says, Joseph Campbell, and what I found to be true is that when, when we identify so much with the mind and with our thoughts, which is easy to do, it's easy to fall into that, that orientation, um, we disconnect ourselves from 
nature, from the greater flow of the way life works. And we can call it spirit, God, the universe. I like calling it nature because that's just really grounded for me. I kind of get it really easily. Um, just like a tree has a nature or and it, it kind of has an intelligence to it that it knows to to grow and go towards the sun or that birds that know to fly south when the winter is coming in, in the states right they know okay it's time to go down towards florida there's just this built-in dna intelligence of how to be in alignment with nature well just as a tree or a bird or anything else ha- a plant has this this consciousness we also have this consciousness within us we also have an awareness and intelligence a dna level understanding of how to live a life that is is deeply uh, fulfilling and and works and so the challenge is is that we become disconnected from that based on what society says we should be doing based on our ego based on our fears based on you know our insecurities and and all these things and so when i when we talk about consciousness or talk about spirit that's what i think of i think of there's the universe at large here, which I am a part of, and there's a wisdom, there's an animal consciousness, there's a plant consciousness, and there's a human consciousness, and they're all connected. And how can I use my mind, which is a very valuable and powerful thing, in service to my nature, in service to my heart or my spirit or that deeper wisdom that, that's within there. When I look around at people who are suffering, and I'm speaking to myself here, I'm talking to myself seven years ago. When I look around and I talk to Jacob, that version of Jacob, the challenge that I see him and so many people going through is that they're trying to use their mind to figure out what's going to give them a fulfilled life. And it doesn't work that way. We have to listen to what is in our heart, what is in our spirit, what is that deeper nature that when we quiet the mind and kind of just get a glimpse of it, it's there. And how do we use our head in service to our heart? In other words, follow our heart doesn't mean go ahead and rack up a bunch of credit card debt and be or you know never think about anything ever again with any sense of responsibility. No, it means lead from a deeper source of here's what matters to me. Here's what would make me most inspired and most proud and most fulfilled. And then use my head, which is a part of me in service to the whole of me in service to my spirit. And, you know, one last thing I'll say, Jason, is when it comes to listening to that spirit, that consciousness, that heart, and there's, probably distinctions that we could make in between all these different things that I'm saying, but I'm, I'm batching them together. When it, when it comes to listening to the deeper source of wisdom, that's not our head. It's kind of like a muscle. You build the capacity to do it over time. And so if you're listening to this and you're like, well, that's fucking great for you, you shaman, whisperer, enlightened yogi monk. Like I'm not, I'm a regular dude from New York, just like anyone else. Um, but the reality is, is that you build that capacity over time, the same way you would build your bicep if you went to the gym or your stamina, if you go out running, you build your capacity to hear what's true for you. And you can do that by putting yourself in peak states. So you can do that by going for a run, if that's your thing, or going to dance. That's another great one, if that's your thing, or going to have a really deep, meaningful conversation or whatever, whatever you do that kind of gets you in that flow state. 
um, that would be my, my nudge to you is to do that and then listen to what's there and notice. And so that's step one. And then step two is notice how quickly your head tries to come in and tell you it's not possible. You got to put that shit aside for now. The head saying it's not possible, put that aside and just be open to what's actually there. And the reality is, is that I wouldn't let myself dream because I was too grounded and too practical and didn't see how it would come true. And I didn't want to admit to myself that I wasn't enough in order to actually go get what I wanted. And so I didn't actually allow myself to listen to what it was I, that I did want. And it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work like, oh, I'm enough or I'm not enough. We Remember, we take our self-worth off the line and we really want to listen to why is it that I want this thing that I think I want. That goes back to our core values. And then how can I start to have more of that why um, today and tomorrow and, and now? Dude, inspiring. I, I don't think I could script a more uh, fitting finale. So that was awesome. Uh, what I heard you say is that you literally can grow into fulfillment and that is, that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Well, I I appreciate you, Jason. Thank you for the in-depth, deep and meaningful conversation and for being willing to let your heart pound in order to make it happen in the name of service and growth and just appreciating your growth over the kind of two years, last two years that I've gotten to know you a little bit better. Uh, Thank you for showing up and being so committed to the work that you do, staying with the path and on the path when it's challenging as it often is. And I'm excited for what you're up to and, you know, where you're headed in the next few years. Yeah, man, same to you. And, and, And what is that? What's, what's coming up for you? Oh, it's a great question. And yes, so much of what I'm doing is playing with that, is playing with replacing the assumptions of what I thought I was going to be doing or might want to do and sitting in the inquiry of of not knowing. Um, So we'll see how that unfolds. And if you'd like to be a part of the journey, uh, you can head on over to sensify.com and you know, join our community, join our mailing list. And you can even shoot me an email once you opt in and we can, we can exchange emails if you'd like. So it's S E N S O P H Y.com. And one thing that I like to leave people with is when it comes to fulfillment and happiness, when I first started to pay a lot of attention to this, I didn't really know what was credible and what wasn't. Like, oh, you build a habit in 21 days. Is that actually true? Just because I heard Tony Robbins say it or someone say it, right? And this was what got me so fascinated with the field of positive psychology. Positive psychology is the science of happiness. So we're talking neuroscience, brain scans, MRIs, along with uh, qualitative research that is done by, you know, high level academics and professors. And it's the science of happiness. What actually makes us happy that we know from a a proven standpoint works. What's cool is that so much of what the, the modern day science is saying actually lines up really well with what the ancient philosophers lead us towards. And, and many of the, the great thinkers of, 20th century and so on. Um, but, but this was really fascinating for me. And I wrote a little article called 12 Things Happy People Do Differently, which is based on this research. And it's in a, the, the challenge with some of the academic research is it's 
that's not a language that most of us really care to speak uh, or it's kind of boring. Um, so I kind of bring my voice to that research and uh, you can grab a copy of that. The article has been shared over a hundred thousand times on Facebook. Uh, I don't know how that happens. It's kind of miraculous. And, uh, and I'd encourage you to just grab a copy and, and um, you know, dive in and see if there's just one habit that feels like you'd be most inspired to, uh, to start from that list. So you can do that by going to thankyoujacob.com. Super simple. Just bought the domain name. I was playing with how do I make it really simple in situations like this. And it's thankyoujacob.com and you can, uh, you can grab a copy of that. All right. Well, Jacob, thank you for showing up fully and powerfully. And that's our show for today. Right on. Thank you. And thanks to everyone listening. All right. Take care.